This episode is brought to you by Malomo. Malomo offers Shopify brands the tools to turn shipping from a cost center into a profitable marketing channel through branded shipment emails and order tracking pages. This episode is also brought to you by Outer. Outer creates the world's most comfortable, durable, and sustainable furniture made from proprietary fabrics that are both eco-friendly and water, stain, fade, and mold-resistant. This episode is brought to you by Gorgeous. In case you don't already know, Gorgeous is the leading customer support platform built for e-commerce companies. Stay tuned to hear from Alexandra Collis, the Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly, an online fashion powerhouse, to hear how Gorgeous enables Princess Polly to manage all of their customer service channels in one place. Stay tuned for some special offers from our amazing sponsors exclusively for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 84 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green, and today I spoke with Steve Schwartz, the founder and CEO of Art of Tea. Art of Tea is an award-winning tea brand based in Los Angeles that hand blends and custom crafts the finest organic teas and botanicals. In this episode, Steve shares with us his entrepreneurial journey from growing up in Southern California to moving in with his brother at 14 years old to losing his mom to brain cancer, which ignited his passion for health and wellness. He talks with us about the difference between truth and a belief, why being decisive is more important than being right, and how he self-funded the business by blending and packing tea from his living room. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe, or you can text me at 310-510-6044, tell me your favorite brand, suggest a guest for the show, or simply say hi. I'd love to hear from you, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Steve, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm so excited to hear your story in building Art of Tea. Thanks for joining us. Honor to be here. Thank you. So where are you from, Steve? I, I grew up in Southern California. Um, I grew up in, I guess you can call it the valley of outside of Los Angeles. For the first like 12 years of my life, I lived in a very sort of idealistic neighborhood. Parents said, you know, come home. Before sundown, I could ride my bike anywhere and, and everywhere. And and then my parents went through a pretty nasty divorce. And actually around 10 or so, they started to go through a divorce. And then, it, you know, it was a slow process. And then it just kind of ripped my family apart. And so when I was 12, I left there and I moved to a little bit more central uh, to, to a place called Camarillo. I lived with my dad and my his wife at, at the time. And then went to boarding school. And then from there went to, I went to go live with my brother. I lived with my brother throughout high school. 
How many siblings did you have? Just your brother? No, my brother and sister. And are you the middle, older, or younger? I'm the youngest. I'm the baby. So, yeah, I moved out to Tucson, Arizona. I lived with him. It was only him and I. And how old were you when this happened? I was 14. And so I went from a very um, well-off, upper-middle-class family to needing to pay for food and haircut and clothes and all the other stuff that I needed in order to survive. I remember I had a call with my dad. This is, I was around 14 at this point. I called him from a payphone. I don't even know if they exist anymore, but I called him from a payphone. But why weren't you at home with dad and the new wife? Like, why weren't you there at 14? Yeah. You know what? It was a big struggle. It was a custody thing between my parents. And then they both had approved that they didn't have money to take care of the kids. And my sister was already in college. My brother was off on his own. And I, I went from a, like a house with a live-in housekeeper, private school, to both parents battling over money. And I was kind of a pawn. Oh my gosh. An expensive <laughs> battle, it sounds yeah. like, that yeah. left neither one of them in a good spot. Yeah, they, they both spent a lot of money on, on, on legal fees. And so I ended up living with my brother and we were both taking care of each other as best as we could. And he was only 19 and I was 14. And um, so I remember I asked my dad, I'm like, hey, like, please, like, you need to eat. I went through a whole summer that I flew out there and just on country crock and bread. So I asked him to send some, some money just to help. And he's like, do you live near a neighborhood? I said, yes. I said, do you live, uh, are there houses in the neighborhood? I said, yes. Knock on their doors and see if you can do housekeeping or landscaping. And um, so I, I did that. Oof, cold, cold. But it sounds like it sounds like he couldn't have helped maybe, right? It sounds like maybe yeah. he was struggling his own financial battle. It, you know, one of the reasons why we become parents is to do a, hopefully a better job than our parents do and, and just to fully forgive. I have three, three daughters and now they're very close to my father. And there's a lesson that my neighbor who was 99 years old, Holocaust survivor, he was, he was in 12 concentration camps and he had three major lessons and his, and that's a whole other rabbit hole that we can go down, but, but one of his three major lessons is, never hold a grudge. So I'm like, man, if this guy has survived 12 concentration camps and he does not hold a grudge and uh, he's here to share his story and his life and his, and help as many people as possible, then there's no reason for me to hold a grudge. And, and um, so my dad helps with, with different things. He's just, he's very kind and I think a different person now and our relationships evolved and I'm different than I was. I wasn't a bad kid. I was, a, you know, I was a, they called me Stanford Hope. That was my nickname when I was a little kid. So I, and it was their issue, not, not my issue. Hope that you would go to Stanford, basically? Yeah, I was studious. I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed learning. I still love learning. Well, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? A rabbi. Really? You wanted it? That was your dream, was to be a rabbi? Yeah, I wanted to be a rabbi. I wanted to help uh, inspire my community. And, and I, I started following that path a bit. When I finished high school, I got a full-paid scholarship to go to college. And my mom got sick. She got diagnosed with brain cancer. So I moved in, back in with her, took care of her for about 10 months. And we were just on allopathic medicine. So we went from one treatment to another treatment. Nothing was working. And so she ended up passing away. Oh my gosh. How much time does that? Was it like fast? I mean, best things happen fast, I think, with brain. It was 10 months. Oh, I'm so sorry. 
Thank you. Well, you know, I I got to connect with her and and lots of great learnings. And it was really about quality of life towards the end versus quantity. And super fortunate that I got that closure with my mom and and that opportunity to connect with her. And it it really sort of sparked my interest in wanting to understand health and wellness a bit more. So I sort of stepped away from the rabbinical path a bit and dove into Ayurveda. Ayurveda is a form of preventative medicine based out of India. And there's a school in New Mexico that I really fell in love with the alchemy of, of herbs and teas and botanicals. And so I ended up going there for a few years and, and uh, really became advanced in my studies and continued my, my, my path beyond that. All right. So that's where you got the itch for trying to figure out how to make wellness better or bring wellness to more people. Yeah, and it, it was a time where it was kind of weird. I think it's Ayurveda is more well-known. It's more respected. Preventative medicine is more well-known and respected. But at that time, you know, either there's acupuncture or there was be a doctor. And I didn't want to stick needles in people. And I didn't want to be a massage therapist. Not that there's anything wrong with that or even becoming a doctor. They're all great. But I just want to understand health and wellness a bit better. And the school blended Eastern and Western medicine beautifully. And I got really into the alchemy and, and, and wanting to understand plant medicine a bit deeper. So I was chosen as the only student advanced enough to work with the masters at my school and how to blend and source. This is way before the internet really took off. So I was making phone calls with some suppliers overseas. And, you know, so it was like $2 a minute just to have a phone call. And I was in a rush and also kind of, also kind of cocky and young and just, so I was talking to a supplier and I said, I need to order some ginkgo. And he said, do you want ginkgo on an Eastern slope or a Western slope next to a river? What is this? Ginkgo, ginkgo biloba. Ginkgo biloba is, it's an amazing, amazing leaf from a tree. It's an ancient, ancient tree. I mean, this tree. So were you already thinking about making tea or something right now? Like you were already thinking through ingredients for tea or why this ingredient? I was interested in just how you can take certain botanicals and by ingesting certain botanicals, um, it actually helps with the healing process or can help with energy or help with relaxation. You know, over 80% of all medicine is derived from plants. And so the fact that ginkgo, which has been around for, there's fossils of ginkgo leaf that's over 3 million years old, and it looks like a brain. In fact, ginkgo is actually good for memory. So they use it within studies to help understand uh, dementia and memory loss and, and all sorts of other things. So so I had no idea that 80% of uh, medicines derived from plants. Yeah. And so what they do is they'll take, they'll basically take that structure and they'll mimic that structure within a lab, but they'll like turn up the volume. They'll make that volume much stronger. And they'll oftentimes isolate that property within that botanical But within the botanical itself, there's so many other things that help counterbalance any sort of negative properties. So it's really important to adjust the whole botanical whenever possible. And tea for me, you know, fast forwarding quite a few years, but tea for me became this way of seeing that people connect with it because not just because it tastes good, but because there's a ritual behind it, there's ceremony behind it, there's ability to connect and which is super challenging now with COVID and people remote and how do people connect over ritual and ceremony and, and, and tea is one of those ways. 
right? It's one of those ways, regardless of age and religion and gender. And, and it's, it's powerful, it just leaves in water, but extremely powerful. Yeah. I mean, you, you sent me some tea and I thank you so much. I'm actually sipping on some matcha right now, which is oh, amazing. <laughs> um, and then there was this really cool, like container you have with these loose, like you're saying, what do you call these things? These loose leaves, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. so this is Earl Grey cream. I mean, creme, maybe I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> but it smells insane and you i mean it's so cool to be able to get this kind of fresh leaves and these nice little filtered bags that you have and you can you kind of feel like you're making your own tea you know it's it's kind of like you know i'm a big coffee drinker and i kind of like the process of you know getting the coffee bag out and putting the coffee in the filter and getting the water hot and it's kind of a process it's a ritual like you're saying and that's kind of taken away when things are put in just a bag and you kind of just open it and put it in, which is fun because it's fast, but also, you know, the process that you've kind of created here with these loose leaves and this beautiful can and with the filtered bags, it's like you kind of get to recreate that process. A lot of people are threatened by it. They don't want to mess up, right? Do I let it steep too long? Do I do it too short? Like, but it's really just leaves and water. So if you allow yourself that time to prepare the leaves, prepare the water, and it's, it's, there's a really quick hack in terms of making tea. So the hack is the teaspoon really gets its name from that correct measurement. How much tea leaves, whole leaf tea leaves, do you put in your filter bag? You basically put one teaspoon per cup. And if it's like a smaller leaf, then you use a level spoon. And if it's very fluffy, like whole chamomile blossoms, then you use a heaping teaspoon. And that, that's it. Like, and, and of course, temperature plays an important role and steeping time can play an important role, but really good tea can allow you to mess up a little bit. You can go a little bit over, a little under and still deliver an amazing tasting experience. You know, our mission is to create a delicious experience and we want to impact as many lives as we can through tea. Yeah. Well, I think you're definitely creating an impact, especially with the the tastes. I mean, they're really high quality teas. You can tell in the taste. They're amazing. I didn't realize that the word teaspoon actually is related to tea. Obviously, spelling wise, it makes sense. But, you know, we kind of grow up with this teaspoon just normally like throughout our daily lives. And I've never even thought for a second of, wait, is this any relation to actual tea? Yeah. And, and for the longest time, it was whole leaf tea. It wasn't until a few hundred years ago that tea bags became more of a thing. And really, it's been more out of convenience. Imagine getting a bag of chips, unsalted, unflavored chips. And on the top of the bag, you get this beautiful uniform shapes. And as you work your way down to the bottom, you get this powder or dust, right? So as they're producing our teas in the factory, the dust flies up in the air, falls on the ground. They sweep it in giant piles. And that's typically what's reserved for most traditional paper tea bags. So what we source at Art of Tea is whole leaf tea. We do whole leaf teas in these beautiful corn-based microplastic-free sachets, which is stunning and gorgeous. And we do whole leaf teas as well. But what we're sourcing is the top 2% of all the teas that are produced in the world. They're direct from origin. They're blended and crafted here in our facility in Los Angeles and shipped out. So we have the freshest bioavailable tea in the market. Now, the one major difference between that powder dust that I was talking about that's in like a typical supermarket tea and matcha so knowing that you're a fan of matcha, it's great. I love Japanese high-quality teas. 
matcha is deliberately stone ground and it's you're getting that full bioabsorption. You're getting the ECGCs, the caffeine, the polyphenols, flavonoids, all the other good stuff for you. And you feel that rush, right? You feel that mental lift and that clarity, that, that state of presence that you're able to get both physically and mentally that can come with matcha, which is, which is really exciting. I hope I drank enough of enough of it before this interview to actually feel that way. (laughs) Just (laughs) So you clearly probably have your own tea ritual. What is it? What's your go-to tea or what do you have each morning or afternoon or all day long? What's your ritual? You know, I'm a huge fan of Japanese teas. I love sencha. Senchas are a style of green tea that come out of Japan. We have gyokuro. Gyokuro, it's like a shade grown. So right before they harvest the tea, instead of harvesting it, they have these bamboo, like this bamboo shade that um, that they bring in for about two weeks. And what that does is it makes the plant sort of fight for chlorophyll and flight, uh, fight for sunlight. So it raises that chlorophyll up and the leaves become from this light green to this really rich, vibrant green. So you get much more umami, much more flavor and that full mouth feel. And also just the bio effect, how it stimulates my thyroid, how it just gets me activated. And I feel a, a much clearer mental state with, uh, with the Japanese. So if I'm working on a proposal, if I have a presentation, if I have some sort of business plan that I need to work on, green tea is definitely my go-to because I just feel like I'm much more present. And based on all the research that I've learned uh, as far as high quality green teas go, the steaming process is much more effective for those mental and physical states that I was talking about. Awesome. And so talk to me about when you first decided to start this business, what that felt like, looked like. Was there a a moment where you realized this is when I'm going to start this company right now? I have to do it. And this is why. Like, Kind of walk me through the very beginning, early days. Yeah, definitely. Well, I finished studying at the Ayurvedic Institute. I went on like a Peace Corps type program in the Middle East and in Israel. Um, and then I, I came back and I was exploring sort of blending in that rabbinical path of wellness. And I got offered a, just a really super great job. I was recently married and I saw what happened with wine. I saw what happened with coffee in terms of their growth. But I realized that tea, it's the second most consumable beverage in the world right behind water. And there must be some impact that I can have rather than seeing one small community or seeing, you know, one patient at a time with my background in Ayurveda, I I wanted to figure out a way that I could help more people really help themselves. And I thought tea could be a way that can help people connect, help people through ritual and practice, help people through community and help people just through wellness. Oftentimes people associate tea through, you know, either solace or just, you know, wanting to feel a bit better or breathe easier. And so I turned down that really nice job offer and I, my wife and I recently married, found out we had a child on the way. And I wrote down like, what are the top reasons why I want to be successful and, and, and make an impact. And, and my number one reason at the time was I had a child in the way. So I, I was like, okay, I feel like I can kind of reach my max, my, my threshold. If I go down this job offer path, or I can do the stupid, crazy thing, because which I can always go back to that other thing. And I can do that stupid, crazy thing and, and start my own company. So I didn't have any investors. I didn't have any mentors or anyone in my, my 
immediate proximity that I could turn to for advice and feedback. But I got a credit card, uh, Aunt, Aunt Visa and Uncle uh, MasterCard. <laughs> and I, I, it was like $1,000 on one credit card. And then I got another credit card for like $1,500. And I just slowly started purchasing botanicals. And, and then I just started going around to different restaurants and hotels and caught the attention of Wolfgang Puck. And they loved the authentic story and what I was doing. And started going over to, to, um, to Asia. I could not get high quality teas in the US. The only stuff you can get at that time was lower grade, export grade, Teas and I just I just saw a need for really high exposure to some of the botanicals and herbs and teas that I was exposed to while working at the Ayurvedic Institute, and and being able to introduce this direct from farm to the the U.S. and just North America in general. Yeah, I know you have you know you have a, a great D to C business, but you also have a really incredible B to B business. And I'd love to hear, especially with this Wolfgang Puck partnership, how did that get started and how did you continue to form more partnerships in the B2B world? You know, I was, I was blending and packing tea out of my living room for quite a, quite a, for about a year. And it's funny, I ran into a chef that, that one of the Wolfgang Puck properties that we work with just a few years ago. And he's like, man, it's so great to see you again. He's like, you know, us chefs, like we were kind of, wondering if when you were started, when you were starting out, were you working out at the back of your, your car? Because it just seemed like, like you're just bringing, and I said, on, yeah, like I was working out of my living room and I was like, bring, you know, stuff in from my backpack from overseas and trying to sneak some stuff in early on uh, that you just couldn't get uh, because the export, uh, there's many, many export limitations, different exporting uh, expectations that are happening with the ship again and stuff like that and supply chain today. But you know, there was one chef that I kept flying out to Las Vegas and to meet with. And I'd fly out and meet with them. And, and I, I understood that he was one of the major decision makers. And it was costly. So I would drive out there. And I just kept going and going and going and introducing him to other teas. And said, God, this is interesting. And it wasn't a quick process. It was just me showing up. And I, I really believe over 80% of your success it can just be just showing up. So many people are flaky. A friend of mine said he wants to start a company called On Time and Reliable. Um, because it's, you know, so many people are just, anyway. So I just kept showing up. And then. And this guy was like, finally, okay, okay, okay. I like your teas. Because you kept trying to, I guess, introduce him to new teas. And you're building this relationship, which is essential in this trust and credibility, you know, that you're there yeah. and you're not going to mess up. And if you do, you're going to fix it. And you kind of build that trust over time. So I, I assume kind of you're like, so guy, when are you going to buy the tea? I, you know what? I just kept trying to educate. My whole philosophy is like, if I got... I'm so passionate about like where these teas are grown and the farmers that we work with and how they're blended and crafted. So I just kept sharing that story and introducing them to new things and what to look for in tea. It's it, someone can order an amazing steak at their restaurant, but if they finish it with a poor quality tea, that's going to be the last experience that they have. So yeah. So eventually he introduced me to a few other chefs and then we just slowly grew up from there. And then we caught the attention of Caesar's palace. I trained the first tea sommelier in the United States. He sommelier. I didn't even know they exist. Yeah, they exist. They exist. The first one I believe was in London. And then I, I believe I trained the second one. Now there's one in Dubai or there, there's a number of them across the country and across the world now. And so now you train them. Yeah. Well, I trained, I trained one. I trained some people in 
on our team. And I do train the, some of the restaurants and hotels that we work with across the country. And now we're in Japan and Maldives and, and Singapore. Yeah, I don't, I don't do any, I just don't have time. I, I, I actually, what we did was, especially with COVID and the limitation of in-person training, we created how to become a tea expert course on our website. And so we have a level one and just launched level two. And it's the same training that I've done around the world, whether it's the Peninsula Hotel in Tokyo or, you know, working with Google or working with, you know, some of the different restaurants and hotels across the country. Are these courses free? If I go take one right now, I'll be a tea expert. It's super, it's a, it's a loss leader for us. I mean, it's, we put a lot of resources behind this. I believe it's $20. Um, and you have $20. These, yeah. So all these incredible access to, to the, to the resources. It's, How long is the course? Uh, level one is 25 videos and tons of downloadable content. I don't know how long level two is. I, um, I just, so it's $20 for 25 videos. Yes. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, maybe I can help you on some pricing stuff. (laughs) Okay. No, I'm just kidding. That's wonderful. I mean, so that that's excellent. So that's just level one. And then you have level two, which is like, you want to be at double expert. Yeah. Just diving deeper. Exactly. That's awesome. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Did you know that brands like Magic Spoon, Mudwater, and Caraway get an average of 20 times the return on their investment when using Malomo? Customers track their orders four to five times before it even gets to their door. And instead of sending them to the carrier's tracking page, Malomo built a tool to help brands optimize post-purchase marketing. Use order status emails and tracking pages to spur engagement and drive additional purchases by showing new products, sales, subscription options, and other engaging content simply by being proactive in managing delivery communications. Get 30% off your first three months with Malomo today by going to gomalomo.com slash stairway to CEO. While most people living in colder climates are getting ready to bring their outdoor furniture indoors to protect it during the winter months, customers of the popular brand Outer don't have to lift a finger. After all, outdoor furniture should stay outdoors, right? Made from durable materials like all-weather wicker that withstands temperatures down to negative 220 degrees with a marine-grade frame and legs, Outer ensures your outdoor sofa will stay good as new until spring and for many years to come. So if you're preparing to bundle up this winter, go get some marshmallows to roast over the fire pit and enjoy some cozy time outdoors with Outer. You can get $200 off on furniture purchases by using the code STAIRWAY200 on liveouter.com. That's $200 off amazing furniture using the code STAIRWAY200 on liveouter.com. I am Alexandria Collis, Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly. I'm focused on our strategy and innovation in the CX department here at Princess Polly. I have a quote and I always tell our CX leaders that customer experience is the heart of an organization and we pump the blood and deliver the oxygen to the vital organs in the business to help them thrive and grow stronger. The gorgeous platform allows our agents a seamless place to just do it all. We are really there for the customer every step of the way if they want. Our customers expect quality and efficiency where they are. So the real question is, how do you get quality and efficiency across every single platform? And then once you have it, how do you maintain it? And I believe that with the Gorgeous platform, we can do that. If you're interested in learning more about Gorgeous, go to gorgeous.com and mention podcast for two months free. 
Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors. I hope you're able to take advantage of these exclusive deals designed just for you. Now let's get back to the show. So, you know, you've got this product, you've begun to sell it to some of these restaurants and, you know, sounds like hotels and just all over the world. At what point did you kind of realize, I think you kind of realized early on that this was working, but at at kind of a scale where you're like, wow, this is really taking off in a way that I never thought this would happen. Or did you always envision it would happen this way? So when I first started, I didn't have anyone, again, I didn't have anyone in my immediate proximity to to rely on for like, how do I build a business and how does this get started? So I, I found this book called E-Myth, which I think pretty much every entrepreneur has read. And I, I, I followed that guide of where, you know, I put my name in each slot of position that I sort of envisioned with my company. So CFO, head of operations, head of marketing, head of sales, and had, you know, head of production. And then I, I figured out like, okay, there's stuff that I'm really good at. And there's a lot of stuff I just suck at. So what are the things that I'm really bad at that I can hire people to do that are way better and way smarter than I am in these particular functions? And so I just started filling these buckets. And the second thing I did was I put together um, next to that, I put together a dream board. I cut out pictures from magazines and I, I figured, man, if I just sell a thousand dollars worth of product a week, like I'm good, you know, and, and then maybe I can hire someone. And it got to a point where it's so many boxes in our living room where my wife was like, babe, either you move out or you move your boxes out. Like it's, <laughs> we can't do this. So I actually ended up hiring two people and, and they helped me move everything out. And, and then they ended up helping with packing and with delivery and stuff like that. I didn't know how I was going to afford them, but it forced me to really be more present with potential customers and current customers and help drive the growth of the business as best as possible. So it ended up working out. That's great. And and you mentioned that you didn't take on any investor money early on. Have you since? We have a line of credit. You know, everything has been self-funded just through credit card and then paying the credit card down every single month. So it's, it's challenging. I mean, it's, you know, I, I got to make sure that everything's covered here. There's, you know, some months and some years, which are great. It's like COVID was super hard for us at first. Like 80% of our business was wholesale, cruise lines, restaurants, hotels, cafes. And, you know, like the graph basically showed like, you know, January, February, March of 2020. And then this huge dip down in April and May and June. And so for our wholesale business, but we were, we were building out our new website and we were projecting to launch in June of 2020 or June or July of 2020. To launch what? To launch our our new direct to consumer website. Oh, the new website. I see. And so we had a, a growing direct to consumer business you know, a, a lot of advisors were telling me like, hold off, hold on to your cash. Like this is only going to be a short period of time. And I heard one speaker in a learning group that I'm in basically said, guys, this isn't going to be short term. This is going to be 18 months. It's going to be at least 18 months, no concerts, right? Schools are going to be shut down. You're, there's probably going to be lockdowns, like all this stuff that everyone in the group is like, this is, this is madness. This is crazy. There's no way we're living in a free country. There's no way that this can happen. And so I took it and I said, let's take whatever money we have. Let's roll this 
new website out as quickly as we can. People are going to be at home. And thank goodness, there's such a talented team here at Art of Tea that they also were just, everyone's on board. All right, let's do this. Let's get this, let's get this website going. And so we launched it and it really saved our business. You know, being able to show up and people were freaking out. They're like, you don't understand. Like, I need tea right now. Like it's helping me. I'm I'm down to my last few crumbs. And what are we going to do? So our customer service team got really engaged and very purpose-driven on doing whatever we can to show up for our customers and get our products out there as quickly as we can for them. So we might've worked with Google in their headquarters pre-COVID where meetings would be had over tea. And now we had to figure out a way where we could get tea to these executives that work for Google so they could still meet over tea, but over Zoom. So did you, were you able to kind of take that B2B business and kind of turn it online or at least keep those customers regardless if they were in the office or not? Yeah, about 30% of our customers are, unfortunately, they're, they're not coming back. And the customers that uh, on the wholesale side that um, either really thrived in this, or, you know, there's the word pivot, it's kind of overplayed, but there are, there are many restaurants and cafes that did pivot. And those that did, what we did was we asked them for permission. Like our sales team turned our forces from, rather than going after new business, Let's figure out how we can be conduits for support. Let's go to our current customers that are thriving and ask them, what are they doing really well? And is it okay if we can share with our other customers that that might be struggling a bit? And so we became the sort of silent conduit of success without an, an ask for exchange, really just sharing best practice early on. And, and that gave our sales team also purpose on, on what they could do to, to actively help consult and support the businesses that, that that we're working with. So beyond COVID, which was obviously a big hit, lots of change that happened there. What has been one of the most challenging moments in building your business? You know, I, I love helping. I love helping people. And, and sometimes that might mean trying to help someone that keep hitting roadblocks. So like I've, I've you know, had someone on my team for, for many, many years was no longer with the company, but I hired coaches and I hired training support and I invested a lot of money, tools that like are priceless tools that have helped me tremendously. But, you know, this was, this was someone that was not a good fit for organization and I was holding us back for a very long time. So I think, you know, there's that saying hire slowly, fire quickly. And I think that that lesson took me years to, to, even though, you know, someone could be in a bad relationship and understand like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I shouldn't be with that person. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. I know a lot of people like that. <laughs> yeah. Especially just, I think what you're relating to, you know, what you're saying is like relationships, you know, like partnerships in terms of like personal relationships. There's a lot of people that are with like the wrong person, you know, that are just afraid totally. to leave. They're afraid to let go of the security of being with that person. You know, it's it's tough. People have, you know, different thresholds, I think, of strength, maybe, or I don't really know what it is that kind of keeps some people, some people are able to move on, even in personal relationships. Hey, not a match going to go on. I'll be alone for a while. It's going to hurt. It's going to all this stuff, but I'm just going to go do it because I believe maybe that there's a better person out there for me or better fit. And then there's people that are really afraid of moving to the next level to change. Yeah, growth and change are scary, Lee. You know, it's it's freaky. 
But I think it's more scary for some people and maybe not others, right? Like some people might thrive off of that. Others might be more afraid. And I'm, I'm just like, what, how the differences between those people, what happened? When I was studying with Dr. Lott at the Ayurvedic Institute, he would often talk about it, how they would train elephants in India. I mean, powerful, powerful animals, right? And the way that they would train them was when they were young, they'd have a very strong red rope. And that red rope would, you know, the, the, the elephant being incredibly smart would know that they could not break the threshold of that red rope. They could not pull away from that red rope. As they got older, they would take a very thin red rope. I mean, literally like dental floss, size of uh, red rope. And they could pull an elephant along with that very thin red rope because the elephant sees the red rope and knows without question that that is an unbreakable bond, that I cannot break that rope. So I think what happens is that there's a, a difference between truth and a belief. So if I throw an apple up in the air, if gravity is a truth, it's going to come down. A belief that this is the only person in the world that can solve my issues. And if I don't have this person with me, then everything is going to crash. Everything is going to fail. You know, but I'm sure that I have more gray hair. I've lost more hair. I've gained more weight. I've lost more sleep. All these other things that I can, you know, put on this situation that I put myself in for many years um, because of this. And so what, what permission do we allow other people that are holding us back in our world? What, what power and what permission do we allow? You know, we're here Lee, for such a short period of time. And if we just really hone in on our purpose, and so we've gotten really effective as a team. If someone's not a great fit as a leadership team, we come together and we, we, we ask, like, is this a great cultural fit? Is this person a team player? Are, are they meeting our core values? And if the answer is yes, then all right, we can keep moving in the, in the right direction. If the answer is no, then we need to be able to make faster decisions. And sometimes that's, that's very challenging. So you're saying that people who stay in these kind of scenarios that are not kind of truth, right? They have this belief um, and they're giving this power to this other person because they believe that they need this person to stay what comfortable or to kind of validate, I guess, other things. Like, how would you put that? Because I like what you said, difference between truth and belief. And it's very true. My coach He's, a, he's amazing. He's in the mid seventies and just active and alive and just wonder. I like gray hair on, on my, my coaches. Like I like, I like people that are older than me with sage wisdom. He often talks about how people have this core belief, right? Like if I let this person go, then the whole world is going to crash. Oh, really? Yeah. Really, people it's, believe it's, that they, and they cling on to it. And they think that that is that they think that's truth and it's not, it's belief. So, so there's four quadrants. So I want you to imagine that I have a piece of paper and I draw four squares. Okay. In one square, it's the ideal employee, great attitude and get shit done. Like <laughs> amazing, right? Who, who doesn't, who doesn't want that? Second is great attitude, but not really good at their job or they just can't meet deadlines or they're, they're not accountable. Right. And that's kind of an easy, you know, let go like, Oh, we all love that person. Really wonderful to see them, but we have to let you go. The third quadrant is someone with a shitty attitude and can't get stuff done. That's a total no-brainer. Like that person has to go. And the fourth and the most challenging is someone with a shitty attitude, but really knows how to get shit done. 
And there's a technical term for that lead. It's called terrorist. Yeah. So yeah, we don't want terrorists in our organizations. So easy to say, but I guarantee that most people that are listening, either they're, you know, midway or they're starting or whatever, just, you know, be really clear on who you want to surround yourself with and who you want on your team. And it's okay to let, there's seven and a half billion people in the world. And, you know, people that have left the organization that have not been a great cultural fit, like maybe we've held them back for a while on to another opportunity where they've been a much better fit. And, and in, you know, the cases that I'm aware of, that's been the case and it's been a huge blessing for them and a huge blessing for us. So, and we provided an opportunity to someone else, another person that really needed a job in a culture like ours to come in and make an impact. So you were, you were talking about this maybe person that they've hired, you tried to coach, you tried to get moving to the next level. Maybe you really like, you know, the optimist person in you saw their potential, right? And you wanted to get help get them to the next level. But what, what do people have a hard time with? Like what, what do they have a hard time learning? As a business leader, you might not necessarily always have the best idea, but decisiveness is oftentimes more important than, than being right. And trusting your team to be in alignment. You know, if you have multiple people on a soccer team and everyone's trying to play different positions, they don't know what the goal is. They don't know how long they're playing. They don't know what their North, like, like, and that happens in most organizations. They don't always know like what their position is and like who's shooting the goal, who's defending the, you know, their own goal. And so if you don't have alignment, then that can create toxicity, especially if they start speaking negatively about the other people on the leadership team. Oh, geez, that's not good. <laughs> or a, a tendency to, to not delegate, let go of the vine. And, and that's, that's often found, you know, people are like, you know what? No one's as smart as me. Let me just handle it. Let me just do it. Right, and that prevents right. other people from under them really growing and the, the organization thriving because of that. What's the hardest feedback you've ever gotten? Um, I'd say no feedback. Uh, if it's an, if it's a review, like an annual review or semi-annual review, I'll ask, I say, if you were in my seat, you know, what would you do better or differently? And this, this allows them, if they don't feel comfortable giving me direct feedback, this allows them to give me direct feedback in sort of a third person way. Yeah. So what has that answer been? <laughs> I'm going to share an interesting story with you, Lee, that's going to answer this. 2019. In November, I started planning out our three-year plan. Where are we going to be? What are our numbers going to look like? What's our North Star? What is that? How does that impact our team? And, um, and how's that going to impact our customers? And I laid out the plan and everyone was so happy and they were grateful that I laid this plan out. And then I didn't mention the plan again for two months. And I brought the same plan up. Like, hey guys, now that we're in this new year, this is pre-COVID still. Now that we're in this new year, I want to let you know that this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. And, and someone raised their hand and like, I just got to tell you, you know, it's been years since you've shared with us where we're going. And it's just so refreshing to hear what we're doing. Now, in my mind, I'm like, dude, I just shared with you guys two months ago. So I, I think one of the most important lessons, you have to repeat yourself over and over and over again until you start hearing what you're saying back to you. You start sharing the core values enough you start sharing the why you start sharing the what we're doing and how how it's going to impact our website our customers our, our staff our team over and over again and i think that that's something i need to consistently 
drive. You know, our culture is, you know, is going to eat our strategy for breakfast. So if we keep leaning in on sharing that, then eventually it's going to continue to come back to me. Awesome. So before we wrap up, what is some final advice that you have for aspiring entrepreneurs tuning in, wondering if they should take the leap to start their first business or, you know, maybe they're working at a company right now trying to figure out how they can level up with their manager or leader, or they're, they have a team of their own and they're trying to be an amazing leader. I mean, what kind of advice do you have on all kind of fronts? Trust your gut. You know, like don't just just trust your gut. Take time out to listen to your gut and trust your surround yourself with um, wise counsel, wise people around you. And last is we talked about being freaked out. If it scares you, but it's it excites you just a little bit more than it scares you, then you're doing the right thing. I love that. Yeah. It's it's gotta be scary or it's not fun. I mean, come on, guys. You know, it should scare you. I, I always like to do things where I feel like it's kind of out of my league. <laughs> you know, yeah. like if yeah. it's not really, if it's something I'm like, mm, I may or may not be able to pull this off, but I really, really want to freaking try. You know, I love that thrill of, of seeing if I can make it happen. Yeah. I'm, you know, I've been writing a book and I, it's coming out in about uh, like March of, uh, 2022. What's it called? Uh, it's called creating the art of tea. Oh, nice. <laughs> and I'm totally freaked out. I've never written a book before. I right. collaborated with someone that's, that's much better than I am at writing content. But in my mind, this thing, I don't know who's going to read it. I, I hope that somewhere in the future, maybe a hundred years after I passed away, that this will impact someone's life in some way. And so that's really my hope with, with, with this journey. Yeah, I feel like that too. I'm like, I've got this book I want to write because I want to leave that mark for that one person that might hear my story and be like, you know, that's kind of badass. I want to be like that or I want to do something like that. So I totally hear you. Well, congratulations on your book. Can't wait to see it. You have to ping me and let me know when it's launched. Very exciting. Thanks so much for joining us on the show and sharing your amazing story, Steve. It was great speaking with you. Thanks so much. Super honored to be with you and tracking with you. And uh, if you want to learn more, you're welcome to check out artoftea.com. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.